0: Holy Lord, we are so honored and so privileged to be allowed to come together in a corporate worship and offer you all that we are and all that we have. To say to you, Lord, that we do worship you for you are almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, that you, that you move in the midst of us that you move in our hearts, Lord, that you turn the places of our hearts that are in the darkness or in the shadows, that you turn your light, you expose by your light. And let us hear your word today. Let us hear this question being asked of us as we are face to face with you today. And then, Lord, just set us on that sure foundation of which... Of which you are everything. And give us our strength. Give us our. Just enlarge our love for you. And Lord let us. Hear your word today. Worship you even more. And leave this place. Touched and transformed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, in today's gospel, Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? And their answer, they're offering the rumors and speculations that they have heard as they've been in the midst of the crowds. And they answer, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Then Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter, bold, forthright, impulsive Peter, without a skip of a beat, answers, the Christ of God. Now, I want to put into context our gospel lesson for today, just so that you know what's gone on before and what the disciples and Peter have witnessed and experienced. Today's gospel lesson follows the beheading of John the Baptist. We know that was a very sad time, a very hard time uh, for Jesus. Jesus. Um, It also follows the story of Jesus giving the disciples his power and authority and sending them out two by two. Now, this is not the 70. This is the the disciples. But he sent them out two by two to heal and cast out demons. And then follows the feeding of the 5,000. We know in uh, most of the gospel lessons that give us the feeding of the, 5,000s, uh, the 5,000 that Jesus afterwards, the, the people wanted to, to, to get him and to enthrone him and to uh, uplift him and make him uh, king and uh, all kinds of, of things they wanted to do. Jesus didn't want that. And so that we know he went alone. It says he went to the mountain to pray and in our today's gospel lesson it says and the disciples join him Jesus asks these two questions well as I read the the lessons for today and I read the gospel lesson I thought why is he asking the questions Uh, They've just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They've witnessed Jesus heal. They've witnessed him teach. They've sat under his teaching. They've walked with him, uh, public and privately. So why is he asking them this question, and why now? Well, I think the answer is because the crowds of his day are no different than the crowds of our day. Jesus does. He performs miracles. He teaches amazing truth. Amazing truth. Things come out of him that just settle in your soul and you just say, that's truth. And he reveals not only himself as he really is, even though people don't get it, but he reveals the Father in heaven. The crowds gather for the miracles. They gather for the healing. They gather to hear him, but most do not venture beyond beyond their own frame of reference or what they desire for themselves. They are not seeking to discover who he really is. I believe that Jesus wants his disciples to think about why the crowds follow him and then why do they follow him. Again the crowds follow because they are witness to the miracles they desire healing and don't forget the crowds that have gathered are not the elite they're not the educated they're not the powerful they're the lowly people they're the people in the trenches. And so as Jesus is talking and teaching, they're hearing things that they've never heard before. And it grabs them. It captivates them. It makes them feel of value. Jesus gives them value. And so, of course, they're going to want to hear him and teaching like his. Uh, But again, most had their own agendas. They had their own purposes. They had their own expectations. Not unlike us. You know, we have the same thing. We have our own agenda, we have our own purpose, and we have our own expectations. The crowds follow Jesus for reasons other than his true identity. He wants his disciples to think beyond what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced. The time has come for them to face the presence of the unique challenge to believe beyond what the crowds believe. To face head on the dichotomy and the chasm between the public and the private, the faith and spirituality, between the sacred and the secular. The subject of Jesus' identity is becoming more and more pressing for his disciples as they journey. They have been up close and personal, have witnessed his public and his private life. And this is a crucial moment in the disciples' lives. Jesus is calling them out of the crowd, out of the culture, to a deeper understanding of his identity as the Son of God divine his life and ministry confronts them and his life and ministry confronts all of us with the question who is jesus peter i love peter impetuous impulsive right out there peter he answers the question and i can just hear him saying it the christ of god you know no doubt no no soft words here and as I kept reading that over and over, I just really had to smile as I, as I, as I envisioned how Peter must have answered the question. But it also struck me that it's such a matter of fact statement coming from him. Matter of fact. It's not said with any great and deep thought. It wasn't like he went away for 10 minutes and came back. Peter did not search for the right and acceptable answer. There was no long, careful consideration. The confession is immediate. And it simply said, the Christ of God. But it is mighty. It is powerful coming from the heart, from his experience of being with Jesus. Peter knows. Peter knows. And from that certain knowledge comes this unshakable confession of Jesus' true identity, a certain knowledge. To follow Jesus is not just a free will preference for Peter. He has found this one, the one worth following. And there is none other like Jesus. And for Peter, there could be no other answer to the question, the Christ of God. Now, in my scripture, it has a period. I put an exclamation because that's how I hear it. Now, Jesus responds to Peter's answer. And he says this, and he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, one might think that upon the heels of Peter's confession, this would be a great time of celebration, that the disciples are so proud and, and happy that they've got the right answer and Jesus is just beaming because his disciples know who he is. And, and so you'd think that kind of a celebration would follow. In Matthew's gospel, we get a fuller revelation of Jesus's response. And it was not a grand moment of celebration. It was a moment of greatest blessing in Matthew it says Jesus answered and said to them said to him blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven Jesus gives Peter a blessing and then issues a warning and a command to Peter and the disciples With a faith confession in Jesus comes a complete change in your perspective. You see things differently. Things are not the same. The world around you doesn't change. Your work life probably doesn't change. I know mine didn't. But you change. Your perspective changes. You begin to do things differently. You are not who you were. So with the faith confession in Jesus comes that complete change in your perspective. A radical living apart from the crowds. Jesus is revealing that faith in him brings not a utopian kind of life where everything you want and desired is achieved. Faith in him comes with a warning. The warning Jesus gives Peter and the disciples is this. Faith in him, following him, is built upon him who must suffer, who will be rejected, who is killed. Faith means denial and the sacrifice of self, the death of self. Losing your life for his sake is saving your life. For his death is not the end. We know that. It is the beginning of faith. Faith in Jesus is salvation. Faith promises resurrection. Promises victory over sin and death. And gives eternal life. You lose your life for his sake. You're saved. Jesus understands that Peter and the disciples get it. And he also understands to the point that they get it. They don't fully understand. They only get this much. They don't have the fuller revelation. They don't fully understand what it, what it means for their lives. They don't know what awaits them. He is warning them, preparing them for what will follow. To follow him means the cross. It means the cross. Taking up his cross daily. For this life, we, in this life, we will not see the rewards and the blessings and the culmination of faith. We won't see it. We'll experience some of it. But we're not going to know in it in its fullest. This life means daily. Daily. A heart conviction in the face of whatever comes, whatever happens, confessing He is the Christ of God. No matter what. The disciples will prove themselves faithful, except for one. The witness of their walk of of faith proves that they were touched. They were changed. They were transformed. They were called out of the crowds, and they lived as they believed. Jesus, unique, revelatory, making God known to them. Peter and the disciples lived to make him known to the crowds after his death and resurrection. They stood in the face of persecution and punishment. They stood strong in their faith. Now today, we are face to face with Jesus, just like Peter was. And this question is asked, Who do you say that I am? Before you think you know the answer, Before you think, well, I want you to be like Peter, I want you to answer immediately, but I want you to understand the fullness of it. Not to get just this much, but to get this much. Our answer must be the same as Peter's. It's got to be, Jesus, you're the Christ of God. And I want you to know that that answer is the core of your Christian faith and of mine. It's the core. It's the foundation. It's the the place where everything else is built and grows. We are called out of the crowds. Jesus cannot just be a good teacher. He can't be just a wise man. A miracle worker. Or a meek and mild comforter when we need comforting. He cannot be just another prophet, a healer, or a means to the end that we want. He cannot not exist. He lives. Jesus lives. Now there are other religion, religions that reduce Jesus to philosopher. Or to an icon where what he stands for is more important than who he is. Still, some in the crowds of our day would reduce him to nothing, making him irrelevant, non-existent. Others in the crowds would acknowledge his existence on their own terms, and as long as their expectations are met, would believe. But the minute this pie in the sky doesn't deliver, toss him aside in favor of their next pursuit. Folks, dear ones, friends, Faith in Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. It is not for those whose goal is to achieve the best in life now, the best job, the dream house, the perfect job, the perfect health, the power to accomplish and succeed, financial gain. Faith in Jesus is not for those looking for a sweet, sweet, non-threatening, cuddly companion who makes them feel good and wanted. The spirituality of the crowds, for I refuse to call it faith, is actually a spirituality that is extremely personal, very private, and it allows complete and unbounded freedom to pursue whatsoever they will in whatever way they will. What is truth for them is not truth for anyone else. What governs and enacts their worldview is not binding on anyone else and is especially not important for the common good of all or for the new one of the new buzzwords, the collective. You're going to be hearing that a lot. It's not good for the collective. That which they believe brings them freedom is a failure to recognize corruption at its worst and at its least with the evacuation of God is practical atheism. Their spirituality is bondage and the sin of self-actualization reigns supreme and they are never going to get what they want, what they're pursuing what they give up everything for. The spirituality of the crowds is actually a greedy, dangerous worldview because it increases our hungry human appetites, leading to the eventuality of believing we, I, am the center of the collective life. That's what it leads to. The faith confessed by Peter, and indeed is our own confession, is in direct antithesis to the spirituality of the crowds. When we confess our faith, we should be at the ready to tackle the complex and unyielding challenges and arguments of the cultural climate we live in. It's not enough, folks, when you hear people talking and sharing their opinions, whatever they are, or I'm a, I'm a New Ager, or I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic, or this is what I believe. It's not that we should leave them to their own devices and walk away. Now, I understand you can't approach it every single time, but don't think for a minute that God hasn't given you this opportunity to talk to someone To love someone. To give them the truth. Our faith should not be content to hover on the outskirts and in the shadows of our lives. Just like Peter, the dichotomy and chasm between public and private, faith and spirituality, sacred and secular should not exist. No barriers there. We don't live for ourselves. We live for another. Did you hear that? We don't live for ourselves. We live for another. Our faith in Jesus should encompass and integrate the whole of our lives. Jesus as the Christ of God is the dividing line and we who stand steadfast on faith in him need to stand up at whatever cost to us, keeping in step with the spirit to live and move and have our being in him who is the risen Lord, the Christ of God. Christians today are the counter-cultural disciples of Jesus offering a true and living hope that lives are touched, that lives are changed, that lives are transformed when we deny self, take up our cross daily, maybe minute by minute of some days, but daily and follow him who is the unique God He is unique. He is only one. He is the God who is real. He is the God who is there. And he is the God who is known. (coughs) Now, there is no way, no perfect way. There is no word, one word. There is no action. There is no one proof that will stand as undeniable evidence convincing the crowds the Father in in heaven loves them with an unfailing love and pours out his grace, rich, abundant, and for them. What will convince some is your life lived out in him. Your life touched Your life transformed by faith in him. Peter confessed the faith. You confess your faith. And just like Peter, you receive the blessing of Jesus. And he says, This has been revealed to you by your Father in heaven. Jesus has made the Father known. We have access to the Father. This truth reveals and is revealed as you hear God's word. As you offer your worship. The truth is revealed as you partake of the the sacrament of communion. And as you participate in the confession of sin and receive the absolution of sin. On the rock of your confession, Christ promises to build his church, you. You. And me. You make him known. The uniqueness of Jesus as the Christ of God is a matter of great, great urgency in today's culture and time. And it needs to be revealed in the ordinary lives of us Christians. It needs to be spoken in words or in deeds that have meaning in the valleys of death and shadows. Your confession of faith strong in the face of a hostile, sarcastic, condescending culture. Your confession of faith steadfast when confronted with the realities of despair, injustice, death, devastation, disaster, and senseless crime. Your confession of faith unshakable. When you are ministering to one whose body is riddled with cancer or is dying from some other disease. Your confession unwavering in your own illnesses, in your own impossible situations. Your confession of faith, real, honest, urgent, in and out of season. You are face-to-face with Jesus today. What is your answer to the question? Who do you say that I am? Now, when you confess Jesus as the Christ of God, the second question comes very easily. How relevant is your confession? How relevant is your confession? How will you live your life in response to who Jesus is and to whom you've confessed him to be. Will we live like this life is our destiny? Or will we live as though heaven is our destiny? Will we confess faith born out of a heart that will also say, like Job, even though you slay me, yet I will praise you Will we step out of the crowds, out of the culture, and stand apart, making him known in a climate that is hostile to the very idea of a unique holy God? Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Amen.